0: This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from DesignObserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with Stephen Heller about the cult of design, the death of a trend, and what designers have in common with Harvey Weinstein. If if you look at what we do as designers, there is that great component of entertainment, and the one real industry that America has right now that is fairly successful is entertainment. Here's Debbie Millman.
1: Stephen Heller is a friend of the podcast and of designers everywhere. Over the last three decades, Steve has authored or co-authored more than 150 books on art, pop culture, and design. He's also written a staggering number of articles, essays, and columns. That's in addition to his work as a curator, editor, and lecturer, plus a full-time job at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. We're only two and a half months into the new year, and Steve has already four new books out. We're going to talk about some of them right now. Hi, Steve. Hi, Debbie. Originally, I wanted to interview you about several of your latest books, including the wonderful comic sketchbooks, uh, writing and research for graphic designers, um, and and several others, and also what I believe might be your first exclusive ebook for the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum, a book called Design Cult: Twenty Five Essays on Graphic Design Culture. But I was so fascinated by the essays in Design Cult that I've been able to think of very little else since I started my research for our show. So I'm going to pretty much solely talk to you about Design Cult. And if we can get through all of my questions, then maybe we can move on to some of the other books. Otherwise, you're going to have to come back again to talk about the
0: others I'll be here tomorrow
1: <laughs> Good so my first question has to do with your actually making an ebook to begin with why an ebook instead of a paper book I was asked to but you're not a pushover you don't say yes to everything
0: I know but this seemed like uh, a wonderful opportunity to do something that scared me Why did it scare you? Well it scared me because I've been pontificating against ebooks for so long that to do one would alter the way I thought about the medium and alter the way I may think about the future of the book. So there was something scary. I mean, it wasn't scary in the uh, uh, sense of doing something brave, but it was scary in the sense of uh, trying to really come to grips with something I was, uh, had trepidations about.
1: How do you feel now that it's finished?
0: It feels like it doesn't really exist. For example... I'm always excited when I know a book of mine is coming out. It's like I anticipate having a a new car. Uh, And when I have a print book coming out, I can't wait for that package to come in the mail, open it up, see it, smell it, and then I put it away. So this was a very different experience. I mean, once it, it even took me a couple of months to actually download it. Also, it feels, at least when I read it in my iPad, and I have an iPad mini, where I read it. Uh, It feels like a little religious pamphlet. (laughs)
1: Right. Yet I thought there was a real irony in the fact that in one of the essays in Design Cult, you very confidently declare that there's no indication that the hardcover book is going away.
0: Well, I still think that certain hardcover books will be with us. Certain books will be with us.
1: So you start the introduction to Design Cult with this bold declaration. Design is both cult and culture. And I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on what you mean by that.
0: Well, culture is obvious. Design is part of the popular culture. Uh, It is both a slave to the culture and a leader of the culture. It serves both uh, roles. But as a cult, it's a cult for those of us who follow it. Uh, There is a certain litany of design, a liturgy of design. There are certain rituals of design, uh, whether it's certain typefaces or certain uh, grids or the use of imagery. We follow certain rituals that are called styles. And styles are the repetition of things that have become part of a canon or part of a vocabulary that we have that – because they're repeated over and over again, there's a cultish quality to them. Uh, we also, uh, as designers, kind of bow to some of the same gods. Uh, and th- therein lies a cult as well. So,
1: Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing?
0: I don't think it's either good or bad. It's just what we do. And it's what probably everybody does in any kind of creative profession. It's the nature of, of uh, the creative life to have people who you admire and then want to shoot down because that's also the nature of uh, progress in art.
1: In the first chapter of Design Cult, you write, Do you make things look nice? Do you spend more time worrying about nuance and aesthetics than substance and meaning? Do you fiddle with style while ignoring the big picture? If your answers are yes, yes, and yes, then you are a decorator. So my question is... What do you mean by decorator?
0: It means putting elements together that look nice without a hell of a lot of uh, conceptual underpinning. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's the whole point of the essay. Because, yeah,
1: you don't consider it to be a disparaging term. No,
0: I think it's a talent. You know, it used to be that if you wanted to disparage somebody, you'd say they're an interior decorator. And that meant gender and sexual preference and all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, there are many designers who say decoration is superfluous and unnecessary and unwanted and and just takes up space and takes up money on the larger scale if you're dealing with architecture. But decoration is one of the things that makes us happy. When you look at that work, uh, it very often might bring a smile to your face. But then you'll say, no, I, I'm not going to do that because I am a designer. And... Um, I am trying to say that, uh, you know, whatever you do, if you do it really well, there's validity to it and there's pleasure that you bring. I mean, the one thing about design cult, because there's also an essay called Cult of the Squiggly, you know, cult has a a negative connotation, but it could also have a positive connotation.
1: Well, I think that brand marketers would like to think that the loyalists of their brands are... In their cult. Yeah, and, exactly. and that's actually considered to be a really positive thing for the marketers in any case. Right. Um, but you mentioned Cult of the Squiggly. You actually coined that term, Cult of the Squiggly. Um, what does Cult of the Squiggly actually mean?
0: Well, it means a kind of application of design that involves curvilinear form. You could call it modern day art nouveau. It's about Marion Banshees, it's about Jessica Hish. It's about illustrative lettering that may have an emotional impact or it may have a, a psychological impact or it may have no impact whatsoever, but it fills up the page and it fills it up with these tendrils and vines and things like that and there's something lovely about it now these things also go in and out of style, and if something goes out of style, you tend to think it's ugly or you tend to think it's irrelevant, uh, but while it's in style it uh, brightens up the uh, the environment.
1: I think that you describe the notion of something being stylistic and something being trendy really well, and you say that it seems as if for a brief period of time the notion of ornament and decoration was all the rage, and we saw quite a lot of Marion Banshee's wannabes commit some really awful decorative excesses and create what you refer to as turgid work, and you describe it as such. How does the average person know the difference?
0: Well, the average person, what is the average person? There are some people who can look at a a paisley, for example, and say, that's a beautiful pattern. And other people who will look at paisley and say, Jesus, there are all these germs floating on my tie. (laughs) Uh, It really comes down to taste. I mean, there are some that are better than others, better uh, rendered. And you know as well as I know as well as everybody else knows what works better than other things. And if they stop and really unpack it, you can come up with an answer. But it doesn't necessarily deserve to be unpacked. It's just meant to be felt.
1: As I was reading through Design Cult, you got to a topic that's of particular resonance in my life, and it's a strategy known as forced obsolescence. Um, and this this term was coined by the ad man Ernest Elmo Calkins, and it refers to as and I'm quoting from Design Cult, "styling the goods." Uh, being celebrated for having to some degree brought the United States economy back from stagnation to vibrancy, in large part by adding ornament onto products and structures like some sort of camouflage. You use Art Deco as the example in this particular case, but we see this everywhere today and in everything from technical devices to the latest trends in fashion. But I think the word forced before the word obsolescence is the operative word here because things like technological devices or fashion, there's a very specific intent. But when it comes to design, that feels more organic. It feels as if somehow something suddenly pops up and captures the imagination. And those things tend to seem much more as part of a continuum somehow and not planned.
0: Well, I think it is planned. You do? Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to graphic design, there is a certain plan, whether we know it or not. It sounds almost Calvinist. But forced obsolescence or styling the goods was a clear indication of how design was to be used to generate an economy.
1: And so with, with technological devices, one of the big issues that I had after, I don't know, years ago, getting the most recent I phone pod pad whatever it was i remember six weeks later the newer version came out and i was really annoyed by the fact that my previous device or my current device rather was only six weeks old when the new one was already out
0: yeah well the real annoyance there is that they change the plugs all the time right now that's an annoyance having a new style every six months okay if you're into buying style that's kind of cool You know, it's like having a subscription to something.
1: I I also feel like technology can take a pass in some ways because you are getting something better, faster, sleeker, slimmer, different colors, whatever it be that is somehow better than the previous version. In something like fashion, whether – short skirts are in style or long skirts are in style or pointy shoes are in style or square shoes are in style, is not really contributing in any way to the advancement of our culture. What it's really doing, I think, and I could be wrong about this and I'd love to be wrong about this because I th- would feel a lot better about buying shoes, um, is is that it's Creating a situation where you feel like you have to buy in to this style in order to fit in or to feel fashionable by a standard that's created outside of your purview. And that to me
0: feels a little bit more forced. Totally forced, except people have innate needs that they might not even be able to describe. Henry Ford did a Model T forever. That was a box shape and it was only black. And he started losing sales. So somebody convinced him, curve the edges and uh, make it in a couple more colors. Well, people swarmed towards them because they loved the Model T. They just wanted something that looked a little different. People like to be entertained. And I think style is nothing more than a form of entertainment. You know, if if you look at what we do as designers, as create. Two strands of the same thing. We're creating function and we're creating entertainment. And we're also creating information and ways of presenting information. But there is that great component of entertainment. And the one real industry that America has right now that is fairly successful is entertainment.
1: But getting back to the notion of what I felt were organic um, movements in graphic design – it's hard for me to imagine designers like Marion Banshees sitting around thinking, "Well, we haven't seen ornament in a while, and so why don't I create this um, new design treatment that I hope will pique the interest of?" readers and writers and designers. You find that hard to believe? I absolutely feel that hard to believe. I
0: I don't. I mean, I haven't spoken to Marion about this specifically, but I've seen many designers looking at source material from the past and saying, it's about time this has come back. They may not have said, and maybe I'll make some bucks out of it, but that's implicit. While there are people who kind of just allow that organic Expression to come, that's for sure, they are those people. But those are not going to be necessarily graphic designers. Those are going to be those folks that we call artists who hang in galleries who then influence other forms of popular visual culture.
1: I've just become very depressed. I, for, all, for, for my entire career, I've looked at the trajectories of new styles and have thought that they were joyous. Innocent accidents.
0: (laughs) Accidents never happen. I mean, car accidents happen all the time. But even there, there's some preordination. Let's get into religion.
1: Well, let's talk about the decade of dirty design. In that chapter, you declare that nostalgia is so 90s. So what is nostalgia is so 90s? What does that mean?
0: I see the 90s as being a time of retro. It was a time when we were not sure whether we wanted to go into the digital realm or go back to the past, play with psychedelia. And it was a baby boomer philosophy and it was a a Gen X philosophy. It's like we're not quite sure what the future is, so let's deal with the past. And, of course, as a marketing tool, and you should know this as a branding expert, as a marketing tool, it's something that everybody can embrace without feeling left out because they were part of that past. And if they weren't part of that past, they could imagine being part of the past.
1: And and here's where I absolutely agree that there's no question that marketers are very deliberately, very choicefully making decisions that create those type of stylistic movements, where I think we might disagree, and, and I might just be naive here, is that I've always felt that graphic designers were coming from a more artistic place and that it wasn't, I mean, if somebody um, landed on ornament as popular style of the moment, it was kind of the same thing as winning roulette. It was just the luck of the spin.
0: But where did it come from? It had to come from someplace. Even if it was, uh, there was a level of intuition in there, it still had to come from somewhere and it had to be processed. The bottom line is there are no virgin births. And anybody who believes in that is believing in uh, fantasy. Not you, of course, because you don't believe in fantasy.
1: Oh, I do. I still want the happily ever afters. Um, but you assert that stylistically, after the year 2000, designers had just emerged from a period of hyper-experimentation that pitted old modern verities such as order and clarity against computer-driven chaos, which some called postmodern and others, yourself included, sarcastically referred to as ugly. So I want to talk about that assertion for a moment. And I I believe that you were referring to your classic essay, The Cult of the Ugly, wherein you stated, ugly design can be a conscious attempt to create and define alternative standards, like war paint. The dissonant styles which many contemporary designers have applied to their visual communications are meant to shock an enemy, complacency, as well as to encourage new reading and viewing patterns.
0: I love you reading my stuff. I should put you on the audio book.
1: <laughs> anytime, Steve, anytime. Um, and so I went back to The Cult of the Ugly, and I reread it, and I, I'll read another paragraph because I, I have it here. Oh, and please, I,
0: I, please go on.
1: Okay, so this is from The Cult of the Ugly. So the problem with the cult of the ugly graphic design emanating from the major design academies and their alumni is that it has so quickly become a style that appeals to anyone without the intelligence, discipline, or good sense to make something more interesting out of it. While the proponents are following their various muses, their followers are misusing their signature designs and typography as style without substance. So – my question here is, how is the cult of the ugly any different, or is it no different at all, as the cult of
0: the ornament? Um It's interesting. You've seen Annie Hall, right? Yes. Okay, there's that wonderful scene where Woody Allen is online in the movie theater, and this guy is pontificating behind him about... About
1: Marshall uh, McLuhan. Marshall
0: McLuhan, and he brings Marshall McLuhan out. Well, I don't know how many people have noticed this, but Marshall McLuhan says to this guy, you've got my whole fallacy wrong.
1: (laughs) I did not notice that. And I've seen that movie about 450,000 times. It's
0: done so quickly that you don't really... Focus on fallacy. Okay. Well, you know, after time passes, things that seem so real and truthful and uh, definitive uh, take on the role of, of fallacy. And Cult of the Ugly for me was a response to what I felt at a particular time and place. And it generated an awful lot of acrimony amongst younger designers, where all of a sudden I wasn't that old, but I felt like I was the old guard. And ultimately, years later, I I realized that what that event was all about was trying to find their own voice, trying to find their own way and style. So, yeah, they used ornament in a different way than Art Nouveau. They didn't copy Art Nouveau. They didn't they they worked more in abstract form uh, and, and brought that in. They worked more in data. They worked more in constructivism. If you looked at it as part of a historical continuum using new technologies, then it made perfect sense. And I wasn't willing to do that at the time. I mean, there are things in Cult of the Ugly that I really agree with even today. And there are things that I'm glad I said then, but I wouldn't go out on a limb for now. So Cult of the Squiggly became the more rational way of looking at it, saying that there's uh, design and decoration has kind of taken mm-hmm. over from that design brutishness.
1: At the end of Cult of the Squiggly, at the end of the chapter, you state that design was then, as now, in an ornamental quagmire. And I was I was wondering if you, A, still felt that way since this is a collection of essays and it was this was written some time ago. And uh, if you do still believe it, if you could talk a little bit about why.
0: Well, I love the word quagmire because it reminds me of my Hebrew school teacher. What was her name? Mrs. Quagmire. <laughs> um, she changed it from Quagosky Meyer. Oh, Steve. Do I still believe it? I, I believe that... Anything that becomes too popular falls into a pit Uh, because once you start copying, you lose some of the inspiration that founded it. But there's there's a period of gestation, you know, where Vivian Westwood does punk clothing – Then everybody starts doing punk clothing. There's something in between where people start getting used to it and start seeing that the code actually can be understood by them as well. And I think there's a period where the language is totally indecipherable except for a few. And then all of a sudden people start learning the language because they have some Rosetta Stone that allows them to do that. And then it becomes so common. And then it becomes... a nauseating experience. And and that's the way things go in our particular culture. I don't know whether it happens in other cultures, but certainly in, in Western capitalist culture, that's the way it works.
1: There was a part of me that felt as if I was taking a personal journey through design history while I was reading Design Cult. The range of topics in the book is so vast. Um, One of my favorite chapters, as you can well imagine, is titled Homage to Velvet Touch Lettering, wherein you describe in hilarious and heartbreaking detail how, after a computer malfunction and a looming deadline, you attempted to use press-on letter set to finish the design of a brochure.
0: Yeah, I had fun with that. <laughs> I actually donated all that letter set that I had to uh, the SVA uh, Milton Glaser Archive.
1: You talked about the zen-like pleasure you experienced revisiting the old vellum sheets of black and white letters. What did you find so pleasurable about those letters?
0: Well, just the innocence of it all, except it wasn't innocent, you know, letter published it among other companies and so it was there to make uh, a dollar or a pound or a franc. Um, but there's still this sense of it takes you back to a time when you actually had to spend you, time doing a design where on the computer you can make some very quick choices but in using letter uh, press and, and velvet touch lettering you really have to draw the lines. You have to get the baselines together. And if it cracks, what are you going to do? You're going to fill it in with marker or you're going to pick it up and do it again? With scotch tape. With scotch tape, exactly. And then came the compu-graphic. Yeah, I learned on a compu in college. Yeah, well, the compu-graphic was heaven compared to Letraset.
1: What's interesting is I think we're beginning to see all of that actually come back as a stylistic um, – Notion.
0: <laughs> well, it's also like buying vinyl and, yeah. you know, old radios. I mean, we're, still, we're never out of a nostalgic time. And we're never out of a time where people are kind of uh, seduced by the past. I was in Cape Town last week at the Indaba, Design Indaba conference, and they took us on this old train. And it was done up like uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Wow. And we had dinner and we had time to sit and talk. And there was other partying kind of things going on. But it was so great to be in that that past moment. You know, it was, it was like for whatever it was, two and a half hours, you were not in the world anymore. The world that gives you so much stress. You were in the world that was stress-free.
1: You talk about... All of the things that we used to do in design cult with a mixture of nostalgia and and also what feels like a little bit of, for lack of a better word, shame, but not in a mean way, almost in a making fun of yourself way. And so my last question is, what do you think that we're doing now? that the young designers of today will look back on in 20 or 30 years and wax nostalgic for? Or put another way, what do you think they will find ridiculous about the way that we work now?
0: Maybe it's just the fact that there's still a lot of designers out there who are working on paper. Ha ha ha! What are you doing on paper when you've got a paper. screen? <laughs> and when you've got a screen that's only an inch big. Whoa! Whoa!
1: Steve Heller, thank you again for joining me today on Design Matters. Steve has his first ebook out in the market. It is called Design Cult 25 Essays on Graphic Design Culture, and it includes 25 classic, brilliant essays by Stephen Heller. To learn more about Stephen Heller, you can visit hellerbooks.com like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we could make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.
0: Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced
1: by Curtis Fox Productions. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store.